Hello, I'm Francis Seeley from Globenet 21, and I'd like to welcome you to this podcast today. This is one of the regular podcasts we do where we discuss many of the issues that face us today. And of course, today we're facing the problem of coronavirus. And for many people, that places them in social isolation. So we're going to look at tackling isolation at a time of crisis. Now, the crisis they face is being isolated. People who are normally used to meeting others suddenly find that they're on their own or they're with their families. And this very often makes them feel lonely. Lonely because they don't have the social contact that they normally have. And for the elderly, although it affects all ages, for the elderly this can be a particular problem when they can't see their children and their grandchildren. Well, to help us with this today, we have Leonie Campbell. Now, Leonie is a trained psychologist, and she's going to take us through some of these problems and look at some of the coping mechanisms that people can use to get over the problem of isolation and loneliness. And to help me with this, I've got Katie Davis. Katie's going to help me with the interviewing. We've already done actually an interview of her where she talked about resilience and she's helped us with other webinars before. So today she's going to help with the questions and we're pleased that she's going to do that and she's here today. Anyhow, let's get started with this webinar. And the first thing we asked Leonie was to tell us something about herself and the work that she does. I'm an occupational and counselling psychologist, which means that I work in organisations and both clinically. Um, I run my own expert witness company, um, basically providing psychological experts on demand. I also work as a psychological expert myself. Um, and I also take clients in private practice for therapy. Um, on the clinical side, I also work um, as a locum within the NHS and senior and lead posts. Um, my specialism is de dealing with the well-being of people in the learning disability community. So they're quite a hard to reach and vulnerable community. And I've done that across a number of boroughs uh, um, through the U London, um, as well as also supporting with um, improving commissioning framework and making recommendations for that. Um, so that's a little about me. I also specialise in trauma and I, um, that's a specialism that I have both in private practice um, as an occupational and a counselling psychologist. So um, I have supported organisations with regards to clients who might be undergoing um, experiencing vicarious trauma because of things that may have happened at work. But then I also support clients um, with post-traumatic stress disorder, as well as the main, you know, just depression and anxiety and any other issues. But um, those seem to have turned into my specialisms. That's a really wide range of experiences had both um, in the private sector and also um, with um, involvement in the NHS. And perhaps we'll delve a little bit more into differences about that later. But Obviously, the hot topic at the moment is everything that's going on with coronavirus and um, everybody's obviously currently in lockdown. Um, what are the major concerns that people are coming to you about at the moment? Okay. Um, well, the major concerns are definitely about the uncertainty. 
Um, there's a lots of uncertainty about what's going to happen with work. Um, if you know if people are going to be furloughed or not furloughed, if companies are becoming unstable and what that might be mean, and and that's in you know it doesn't matter what kind of industry. It's like this, nothing's very sure at the moment. Um, also, you know we're now in a in a time where everyone's you know we're on this lockdown but before we were on lockdown there was quite a things were changing quite rapidly you know you would they would say that they you know were, were likely to um stop people from you know going out and then it was you know we're likely to tell people that they're not going to work so there was a lot of uncertainty in that period and people trying to plan when it's very difficult to plan when you don't know exactly what's going to happen yeah. um so there's also a lot of worry, um, just in general about, um, you know, not so much on the work side, but just about, you know, health. Um, if people are going to um, catch this and general health anxiety um, about keeping yourself safe and if you're doing enough or not doing enough. So there are personal concerns. And then there was also this anxiety about, you know, others because we're surrounded by other people. And, you know, even if you're keeping yourself self safe and others aren't, that then creates another um, level of anxiety. Um, there's also worries about, you know, whether basic needs can be met, you know, just yeah. in terms yeah. of food, health you know even emotional support you know this worry when you're going to be at home uh, for long periods of time and you don't really you've not had to function in this way so there's been a lot of worry about things like that so i mean obviously there's a huge number of areas of concern but do you find these are, are, are like slight anxiety problems or do they range to real mental health problems as well I would say that they are generally on the anxiety side. So they're on the worry and, you know, having concerns about something bad might happen. Um, if there are any other pre-existing health condition, uh, mental health conditions, and there's a likelihood that these can be exacerbated. So for example, if you are already worried about, um, if you've got OCD, for example, um, you know, you, you, you're in control of the fact that you might hand wash all the time and keep things very clean. But knowing that you could be contaminated by other people every time you go out, um, especially if you've been trying to manage um, your symptoms, it's quite, you know, this can lead to significant mental health concerns. So if there's already an underlying concern, then, you know, this situation in terms of anxiety can exacerbate that. Um, and do you okay. think that has an impact on greater mentally than people worrying about the possible physical side effects? Obviously, we have seen pictures of people on ventilators, and that's a big concern that people don't want to catch it, you know, in such a virulent way. Um, but would you say that actually one of the main concerns coming through is more the kind of mental impact of the social isolation elements to all of this? Um, I think it well you know it takes three weeks to make a habit so this is the thing we're at the point where everyone's adjusting even if they're finding it difficult but there was a lot of worry about what was to come and how people were going to cope and how people were going to manage and people you know having to challenge a lot of negative beliefs around the fact that people be believed that they couldn't cope, that it was not possible for them to function in this way because it was something that was alien to most people um, 
you know, even if you do work from home, only having the privilege of going out for 30 minutes a day and being told that's all you're allowed and only staying in a particular vicinity is not something that we're used to. So yeah, I'd yeah. say that so that's... The, the, the thing is that we're talking about social isolation. And social isolation may mean loneliness, yeah, and people suffer from that. But social isolation may be being isolated with your family. And so you also get sort of tensions there and relationship problems. Um, I think that, you know, from what I've observed, it's not so much about relationship problems, but that this socialization um, increases the level of worry and anxiety. Um, so, you know, you might be at home with your family, but if you've got a mother or aunt that you might see frequently um, and you know that they actually live alone, this then becomes, a, a, you know, an anxiety issue for, for their loved ones as well as the person who is isolated because they feel that they, is not, they cannot do enough. Um, so they become more worried about the fact that that person is vulnerable and it's limited what they can do. Um, so that in terms of, you know, socialization, um, this is what exacerbates the anxieties. The fact that you're, everybody's hands are tied. You cannot go out. So you can't, you know, you, there's only so much you can do. Um, but then there's something about thinking about the ways that you can make sure that they're okay, working on what you can do and not what you can't do. Well, let's come to the coping uh, problems in a minute. But Katie. Okay, so I was just going to say, um, presumably there's issues for people who may feel isolated, even if they are isolating with other people. Obviously, we've seen um, stories about an increase in sort of domestic abuse. I mean, not, not everybody is able to isolate happily with other people. Um, have you also seen an increase in people reporting issues around this? They might feel isolated just because they don't have that support, even within the household they're stuck in. Um, I've had experiences of people feeling anxious about, about be, you know, being at home and whether that's going to be a challenge to maybe, you know, the people that they're living with in terms of the relationship that they have. Um, so we might, you know, talk about strategies or, or, you know, ways that they can get help or strategies to help them to cope. Um, so that is something um, that is an issue with regards to socialization, but also in terms of any type of vulnerability. Um, so not just domestic violence, um, but also in terms of, you know, because I work a lot with people with cognitive difficulties. So um, it's also thinking about if they're vulnerable in the community and, you know, how much people understand about how to keep themselves safe and, you know, how they understand what the symptoms are so that they can, you know, notify someone. So these things also are an issue when people are isolated and you're not able to really engage with them in the way that you usually would. Also, I mean, I, I know that you do a lot of work with people with behavioural problems and learning difficulties. Now, they may face special problems in isolation. I mean, do you find that something you come across or have come across during this time? Yes. Um, with regard, I mean, the thing with people with behavioural problems is that, you know, being in isolation is the, is the worst case scenario for them, you know? Um, a lot of the strategies um, for making that to make to get people to calm down are around, you know, them going outside, having their space, and especially if they have things like ADHD, they have a lot of energy and they need to expel it. So um, these restrictions are very difficult for um, people with um, behavioural difficulties. 
um, they find it quite difficult. So it's about making sure that there are contingencies in place for them and second guessing what might happen. So that's what we're going to kind of come on to actually is the kind of what is actually possible in terms of coping strategies during this current period. Um, obviously under normal circumstances people may be offered sort of face-to-face -face therapy um, but as these are not normal times um, what for therapy can be offered at distance um, or is there such a thing that, as self-therapy? Um, well yes both are um, available <laughs> and are very good to use. I mean all the psychologists I know and therapists, including myself, you know, the moment that we were told on that Friday that there was lockdown, you know, my, I went to Zoom and um, video call literally that day. So, you know, the, the change was very quick for us. Um, and that is something that is available. Um, and what people are trying to do, I mean, you can get hold of, I mean, even on my website, there's a link to, you know, you can book an appointment to see me um, remotely. Um, and that's something that most psychologists and therapists are doing. Um, so you have that option. And actually it means that we can all be a little bit more flexible around the time as well. And also, you know, if there are people in hard to reach areas, there's actually benefits because they have better access to therapy now um, because there are a wider range of um, psychologists and therapists that they can choose from. So, yeah, some some people are putting some interesting comments up and uh, I mean a couple of them are you know one problem that people face is boredom I mean I don't I'm, I've never been more busy since I've been socially isolated but some people are, are, are you know finding boredom and I don't know what you would say to people like that and some people you know are single parents and they're not be able to get the food they can't get a place on the supermarket delivery system so these are all sorts of worries now they may seem sort of small to you and the problems you deal with but at this time they're big aren't they uh, well actually they are big problems because you know I, don't, I wouldn't consider them to be small because it's still about you know struggling to get your basic needs met isn't it you know being able to access food is you know something that we should simply be able to do but in this current climate it's become something very hard and also when you've got children it's not easy you can't you can't leave them you have to take them with you and then you know it, that then becomes another issue for worry and concern because you're also putting them at risk when you go out and so this just kind of perpetuates this cycle of other things to worry about so um you know one of the things is thinking about solutions of what of how you need to change the way that you live your life because we're not we're not living in the same way we're living in a different way so you know one of the questions that i ask clients is about you know okay this is where you usually go maybe you might go to the big supermarket and this is what you do when you do a big shop but actually if you're not going to be at work and you have more time how can we structure the days so that these basic needs can be met where can you go where can you think of around you where they, you know the food that you need you can access it might be a bit more expensive but at least you can get in the shop especially with the kids and you know i get them to think about what actually is available what they can do and also how they create a structure to their day and this is linked back to the boredom because even though you are at home you still need to have a, a, some kind of structure to your day. If it means that you wake up at a particular time, um, you go have breakfast, you might go to the supermarket before it gets really busy, come home, do some work with the children. A lot of my, you know, my clients are doing Joe Wicks in the morning and it comes on early. So it's a good opportunity to know that that is the, you know, the day starts with that. 
Um, so it, it, there's something about creating a structure, working out what the plan is and how you're going to tackle things. Because if the, if the large supermarket is out of bounds, then you need to think about what is accessible. What can you do? Um, because this is what perpetuates this cycle of worry when you, when you, when you fixate on the things that are not possible. Yeah, yeah. empowering them to actually come up with new ideas about how they can maybe approach things. And, and I completely agree with you on the structure point of view, because it was new to me to be working from home full time, which I'm doing at the moment. And the first week, I admit, I was a bit like, oh, you know, I didn't necessarily put casual clothes, didn't really, you know, put any makeup on, didn't sort of keep the sort of normal structure. And I thought, no, I can't keep doing this. And, you know, from the following week, I've tried to keep more of a regular plan and I feel a lot better for doing it. So, um, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I imagine for a lot of people, though, the change is a big element for them. So although it's really good to be able to suggest or you can go to a different supermarket and try different things, because I think you know, some of that is the solution, especially if there's a particularly busy one, there may be other options. And we found that sort of small corner shops may have had more availability, etc. But how do people cope with change? Because, you know, for a lot of people who are vulnerable, um, they very much rely on a routine. And obviously this has thrown a lot of that up into the air. So in terms of change to their routine? Yeah, how, how can they best cope with that? Like, What advice do you give them about coping with that change? Um, well, I think in terms of, there's something about um, thinking of the change positively um, and what you are going to gain from that change. Because you need to let go of the things that you can no longer have. So you know, okay, um, you know, it's not going to be maybe what you might get, but, you know, are you going to find something new? Are yeah. you going to, you know, actually you might have better engagement in, in smaller shops with the people that work there. So are, is it going to increase your level of social interaction? Um, you know, are you going to learn about new things to eat? Are people, you know, sometimes it, it, there are a lot of, you know, ethnic supermarkets here. And, you know, even when you go in there, they'll give you advice about if the, the rice or the potatoes are the same as the one in the other, you know, in the normal supermarket. So you're able to get that social dialogue that, actually we need when we're not going out very often and if you are um, socially isolated things like that can actually make your day so it's thinking about what you can gain but you know reflecting on that you know on a daily basis what have I gained from um, doing this activity instead of focusing on what you didn't get because the minute you focus on that it's going to be very difficult to not focus on it so so you know, it's important to be positive and you're telling people to look at alternative ways of doing things, to find new ways of doing things. And that could be really sort of therapeutic for them. And that, that's important. You know, it's, in some areas, people are doing what's called social prescribing in, in GP practices. Instead of giving them medicine, they're sending them out to groups and classes and so on that they can engage with people. Now, can we do that in this period of um, social isolation online? Is it important to give people some sort of idea that they can connect with people online in groups, do classes and so on, and that will help them a great deal? It is very, very important in this time. Um, you know, I've got this big thing about, you know, people realising that you are not alone. People, you're not alone. You might be at home, but we are in a technological age where everything is accessible to you online um you know you can there are morning zooms zoom aerobics that you can tap into where you feel that you're not you can see everybody uh, you might do the class with them every morning and you're able to feel that you're part of a social community 
Um, there's a lot of, you know, even reaching out to people that you know and um, initiating Facebook or WhatsApp calls on video call and creating groups to do those kind of things. Um, there are um, choirs online um, who practice and, um, you know, then they will all sing their parts together and, you know, record that and share that. Um, so there are so many different ways that you can access people, people that maybe are not even in your circle and feel on a daily basis that you are not alone. And this also links back to the structure thing, because a lot of these things happen regularly or periodically throughout the week. And even though you might be at home by yourself, it's an opportunity to engage with other people and feel that you're part of various communities, even though you might be at home alone. And also with regards to the exercise, that endorphins are very important for mental health and well-being. And, you know, it's what we prescribe um, for depression and anxiety as distraction um, and to improve your perspective of you know what's going on so um this is kind of twofold in in terms of improving the way that people are feeling and just not actually feeling alone yeah so if you've got there are actually lots of almost benefits to the situation if you can find those opportunities um we were talking a little bit about this earlier in the week in another webinar on um, resilience and mindfulness um i know that's something else you've talked about mindfulness and um, also something else called existentialism helping people um, how, how, um, tell us a little bit more about that okay so I mean you know because a lot of people at the moment have been experiencing anxiety and they're worrying about things you know you know uh, one of the things that I will talk to people about is about you know how much time you're going to give to worry okay so you know you can choose whether because these are things you can't do anything about anyway half of them right? So you can choose whether you're going to worry every day, every minute, every second about everything. Or if you're going to say to yourself, okay, I'm going to give myself some time that I'm going to worry about things, you know, it might be, you know, Friday at six o'clock. Um, and this is the time that I'm going to worry about things. Um, and maybe I'll have a worry box and I will write these worries down. And then I will decide at this time that I'm going to go through these things. And I'm going to work out what I'm going to do. Um, but the whole plan, the whole point of this is to not consume your mind all this time with a constant worry because you're it actually relieves you when you know that you're going to think about those things on Friday for a start it means that you can use your mind to think about other things and appreciate what's going on around you and be present um, in that moment rather than worrying about things that are in the future or have already gone if they're already gone then you cannot do anything about them and in, if they're in the future then it's not really affecting the now and you're not actually realizing maybe all the value that's around you um so that's kind of one quite big thing about you know you know having a time to worry but also empowering yourself and understanding that you know life is all about perception and we're choosing to give it this label of worry so, for example, you know, people might be in terms of this coronavirus at the moment, you know, worrying about, you know, I don't know if they're going to catch it, if they're doing enough. Um, but actually, if something's going to happen, you know, if you know that you've done as much as you can, there's not any more that you can do. So there might be other people that might not be anxious about that and actually might feel um, quite relaxed and content is the feeling with the fact that they're doing as much as they can do. So their feeling is that they're content. So the whole point is that we give these emotions power. 
So the same way that you choose to worry about it, you can disempower it and you can choose that you're not going to worry. You're going to feel content with the fact that you are, you've done a lot of things to keep yourself safe and others safe and that you're doing as much as you can do. Is, um, is, is, is what you're talking about now, what you call on your website, worrying techniques? Yes. Do you want to explain that? Is that what you're talking about? Um, yes. So this is what I'm talking about, which is linked to the mindfulness. And this is linked to the concept of that. You know, we give these uh, emotions power. So really, we need to look at worry as just worry. It doesn't have to. We, we've given it the power of being something negative. But actually, it's okay to have a concern but we don't need to let it consume us, okay? So we give it this label of just worry and we're saying, well, that's all it is. It doesn't mean that we need to um, allow it to consume us. It doesn't mean that we have to then get so caught up in these things that we can't do anything about that we then start experiencing psychological symptoms, you know, sweating, panicking, gasping for breath, all of these things because we're giving this emotion so much power. If we say it's just worry and it's okay to feel like this, other people feel other things in the same situation then it's the start of disempowering that emotion um, and devaluing it and turning that emotion into something else yeah i think one of the things people will do when they're very anxious about things though is often go looking for more information or perhaps keep reading the news all the time looking on twitter seeing what other people are saying how do you think people should best avoid getting the wrong or bad advice about um, the situation and how to deal with it Okay, um, so there's uh, something about making sure that you are taking your advice from trusted sources. You know, sometimes if people are come to me and they're really worrying about something in particular, I will say to them, well, okay, we'll go and go away then and research that and tell me what you come back with. And then, you know, I'll ask questions about where did you get it from? Do you think it's reliable? Do you, you know, you know what do you think that they were thinking when they were writing that? What was the purpose? How is it benefiting you? Yeah. How do you feel now that you've read it? Is it, is, is it improved your experience? You feel better from reading it? And um, what is it that you need to know? Um, so a lot of the time people get caught up in the hype, but actually if it's facts that you're looking for, then maybe you need to specifically look for those. If it's numbers that you're looking for, maybe you need to specifically look for those, but actually how are they helping you? I think in terms of social media, um, media hygiene, that people should limit the, they should give themselves a limit of how much they're going to access this kind of information and make personal decisions about where they're going to obtain it from. Okay. So if you um, decide that you might just have a daily digest um, once a day, um, you might watch news at 10, you might not watch all of it. Maybe you'll just tune in at 10, 20 and just get the last 10 minutes and that's enough. Think about the time of day, because even though I say evening, maybe it's better, and I always advise my clients, to find out the morning after. I think it's less anxiety provoking. And actually, finding out last night before you went to bed is not going to help you or anyone, really. Um, so think about the time of day and the amount of time and limit that and stick to it. Um, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I always hate it when I get a worrying email late at night. I want them in the morning, not yes, late at I night. See. So, I mean, in a way, you're talking about positive psychology, aren't you? You're talking yes. about not looking at the bad things that are inside of us, but the good things that are inside us. And are you saying that everyone's got that and they must sort of come to the realisation they've got that and bring that, up to, and bring that to the fore? Yes, and that, you know, I think the thing is that we are in control, aren't we? Do not, you know, 
we have to be in a position where we're in control of what's happening to us and what's in, you know and what's happening around us so you need to create some boundaries um in your day in your life in your week especially because a lot of us are at home that allow you to remain in control because the minute that you don't have those things and you don't have those boundaries this is when the worry sets in when the boredom sets in especially when you're at home and when it becomes out of your control and you're looking to everyone else for the answers and then this perpetuates panic and do you think it's okay to sort of ask maybe friends or family also to set those boundaries in a sense because i don't know that like some people have friends who particularly enjoy dealing with all the kind of dramatic news or, or are keen to spread all the negative news but if that's not good for your mental health do you think you know it's healthy to say to them this isn't good for me create your boundary and this is about boundaries make a decision about who you're going to speak to about this you might have many friends but it's you know you create the boundary you say okay i'm only going to talk to these three people and share messages with them and you know choose your reasons why maybe that person you know always gives a therapeutic response or maybe they always give facts rather than propaganda and you know just you know you can you can create your own boundary around that and you can once you've created that boundary and you don't need to um, tell others that I don't want the information from you because I think that it's terrible and it makes me feel terrible but you could say to them that I'm restricting my you know you know who I'm sharing media with and the information I get to these people um, so yeah. please don't send me anything I can send you the things that I get from them but please let me know if you don't want me to because then I won't so you're creating this boundary and the thing about boundaries is once you allow people to know that they're there that there's a likelihood that they will respect them you've told them so. okay so you know we're getting close to the end of this part of the, the webinar now so um, if anybody wanted to find out more about what you do or to get advice um, where would they go to and what's the final positive message you would give people? Okay, so where would they get advice in terms of anxiety, in terms of, in general? Uh, yeah, for, I mean from you, where would they go? Would they oh, go to your website or would they talk to So if to you'd you? like, I've got loads of blogs, I'm making sure, especially in this time, to, you know, keep going with the positive quotes and asking people to reflect positively on what's happened in their day and helping them to reframe. So you can go to my website, which is leonicampbelltherapy.co.uk um, or on my Instagram page which is psychology underscore for underscore success um or my business website which is um, psychologyforsuccess.co.uk so it's they're all kind of very similar um but i have got blogs on there about mindfulness i've got blogs on there about how to um keep the endorphins up and maintain exercise in this time of socialized select isolation there's even some links on different apps and things that you can try as well which is quite good um quite a few um uh, blogs on cbt and understanding the process of that if, and you know maybe how you can help yourself personally with that as well as you know maybe accessing therapy if that's something that you decide that you want to go on and do further um so please do come and have a look at you know any of those any of my social media or my websites and do feel free to send me a message okay so, okay well thank you thank you for that and i mean obviously you can get a lot of positive um you know messages from your websites because i've looked at them and they're really really interesting anyhow i mean thank you for doing this interview leonie because i think you've helped people a lot you've helped them think about how they can go you know 
go through their period of isolation positively rather than dwelling on all the negative things and, and the bad things that they might think happen. They can actually create a new life, a new alternative way of doing things. And so I think that's been really, really useful. So thank you for doing that, Leonie, and we'll finish this interview now. Mm -hmm.